Flashback to the Track is presented by Blue Emu Maximum Arthritis Cream for temporary relief of minor aches and pains of muscles and joints. Simple backache, arthritis, strains, bruises, sprains. Deeply penetrate with emu oil that works fast and won't have you stinking with an odor-free and grease-free formula. Blue Emu Maximum Arthritis Cream. He's, he's not, he's, he is chatting with us. He is going to watch this race. It's like when you have a good friend over, you know what I mean? We just have a good friend. We have a good friend who's just going to watch this race now. A fellow enthusiast. Fellow. He is a good fellow. I like the cars. They go in circles. They go fast. Same. I like when they go, I like when they do the twisty circles though, and it kind of like, they do some extra, like the circle is more like, you know, there's more turns. I like those kind of circles too. It's also going to be kind of fun when they go to the sliding circles in Bristol. Yes. Slidey. But spoilers, spoilers. Anyways, welcome to another edition of Flashback to the Track. As always, this podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Blue Emu, who produce a plethora of pain relief products that work fast and you won't stink. So check them out. You can find them at Walmart, Amazon. Uh, as always, I'm James, joined by my good friend on top of me in Canada, Mark. But we got a triangle going on because over in the central time zone, Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Danny B. With two D, the Danny B. <laughs> it's like an extra little flair to the beginning of your name. It's like when you're like, uh, just, you know, oh, I'm going to go into this motorcycle trick with like no hand, no hands on the bar, and then you land with no hands, like a little flair. So, Danny, exactly. welcome, man. How's it going, dude? I am doing good. Just uh, had a full day of work and ready to, ready to refresh and talk some racing. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah. thanks for joining us. First off, you guys probably know Danny from uh, his YouTube channel that does quite well. And he teaches us all about, you know, the, I remember the first time videos I ever watched of yours were the guys you haven't heard of like race car drivers you, or you forgot about. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm proudly, I knew every single name in every one of those videos. Cause I'm a huge nerd. So, cause I think we were probably growing up watching at the same time. Mm-hmm. around that like oh four oh five oh six time was when i got like super into nascar so i was watching everything and i was on jay ski every day and i knew every driver it was insanity but yeah but thanks for joining us man we appreciate it yeah absolutely yeah that series right there i think i i produced those more for the uh kids today who didn't grow up in the same period that we did and didn't really maybe they've somewhat heard of a name like that but they're not as familiar with who they really were you got to give more context. You know, there's so many people that don't know much about early 2000s drivers, let alone 90s drivers. You know, mm-hmm. like you, you, you name just an obscure driver from like 2002 and people are like, who? You know, like people forget Shauna Robinson. I'm like, that wasn't even like 20 years ago. But then I feel old. You know, I don't know if that hits you like, man, I'm, I feel old. I've been watching this for almost for a couple decades now. You know, I'm too into it. Yeah, like I even just watching the race that we're going to talk about today, like this was like 12 years ago. You think about it, it feels like it was yesterday, like honestly, but like my wife and I were watching an episode of family guy earlier. And then I looked at the date at the end. I'm like, Oh my God, this came out when I was like 17. <laughs> like, you know, you just think about that, right? It's like, wow, that's so crazy. But um, yeah. So we, um, this podcast, if you're new to it, so we review old races and we wanted to have Danny on to kind of chat about and review an old race. So we have guests on his interviews. One of them, we said, you know, 
a couple of times. Uh, we had our friend Champ Web on way back in the day to review an IndyCar race. So why don't we get Danny on to review? Oh, NASCAR. don't, don't wait, wait, don't forget about, about our boy Lee. Lee, we love you, man. We miss you. Oh, we had, yeah, that's right. You he's had been, Lee on. Sorry, he's I was been tearing up the strips, man. Yeah, Lee, he 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 came down a, a a while back, but it wasn't a Trinity like it was now. You know, it wasn't three. It was it was just you know the both of us. But I was the, just like booted for that week. It was like we don't need. I think you were busy, but I was probably it's okay. We can we can busy. fact check that later. Yeah. Um, so, but Danny, yeah. you, you're able to join us, and we wanted to do something a little bit different. I think probably we only did this with, with Champ Web is we wanted to give you the opportunity to choose what content we're going to look at and mm-hmm. uh, talk about specifically in the podcast. And uh, you know, you're a Tennessee man, and you had to you had to pick a track and a, and a race that you liked, but uh, this one is a little more sentimental than just being like a, like a home race. Tell us about what you picked. Yeah. So this is the 2009 Scott's turf builder 300, uh, a ra- random spring nationwide race to some, but for me, it was the very first NASCAR race that I ever attended. Um, my mom was dating a guy at that time and he had a daughter who worked at Bristol motor speedway. So she gets, free tickets each year to give out some to some family and well he he got his and uh you know invited my mom and I to go to the race and we went and it was my first NASCAR experience and I think from then it kind of made me more of a diehard fan seeing it in person for the first time was it really that um that kind of experience where you know, what you see on TV was one thing, but just kind of being there, was that like a totally different experience for you? Was it kind of like yeah. that? Exactly that, because we saw, you know, we get there and we're watching the Cup Series, do some practice out there, getting to see some, you know, you know, my my favorites, if you will, at that time out on the out on the track. But then they start rolling out the cars, and then you get more of that. Oh yeah, this is something I never actually see them rolling the cars out onto the grid, and you know, this is the this is the part of it I never seen before, and that was like you said, it was a really different experience. Now, how many pairs of earplugs did you have on? Did you have like ear ones in and overs on top or like? Uh, I, I typically, I still use the same ones I took then. It's like they would remind you of what I'm wearing right here, but it's like they were uh, like gun headphones, I guess you could call it like that. Like you use them if you're going out to target practice or something like that. So that's what I was actually using. But you straight up have like the same pair from like your first race, like 12 years ago. Yeah, I'm still using them. Oh, dude, that's legit. <laughs> That's like, no, James and I are like going to Walmart the night before the race to buy earplugs because we forgot them. That's usually our jam. So. No, I, I forget the ones that are like actually molded for me that was made by the, the lady. <laughs> That's why I won't get any people. made because I know I'll just lose them. That's why I haven't had customs I, made. Like, I don't lose them. them. I don't lose them. I still have those. Those are actually my my driving ones. I actually hooked that to an intercom and those are for driving. So like I shouldn't be using them. For that. I should just be using like actual earplugs, but that's really cool because you know that's 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 one thing i don't think there are many things i have from my first race that i went to and it was like in 2008 so it's not that far away i think the biggest thing i have is unfortunately not in this room but we're gonna if you're watching the video version there will be an image that pops up of the cup um i have that for my first race that was at talladega 2008 but man that's oh, i went to a nascar race before all of you 2006 crazy which one did you see? Yeah, uh, I went to the Truck Series race in Michigan. I can't remember the name of the race, but it was the one Johnny Benson won, and it was his first win, and he was from Michigan, so it was kind of a big deal. Oh yeah, I remember the local kind of being quite deal. upset that a Toyota won. They were they were not too <laughs> happy about it, but you know, 
I was I happy. Mean, I thought that was so cool that Johnny won. I think that was when he, uh, it was one of the closest finishes. Was that the one with Eric Darnell? Was it that one? No, was that was a one? couple of years later. Yeah. Yeah. When Darnell won. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That, that was so, back when he was driving the uh, Toyota certified used vehicles, red truck. I think that was like his first year in trucks was 06. I think it was his, I think it was actually his second or third. I think I think 05 was his first year. Wasn't it? Man, I don't know. Uh, I tend to lose these battles with with James <laughs> reminiscing. He has a more of a trap mind for this stuff than me. But. It just there's things that are, there's uh, a lot of things in there, but unfortunately, there's a lot of racing stuff in there, which is funny because I forgot what we were talking about the other day. Me and my girlfriend, we were we're talking about, or my girlfriend and I were talking about something, something simple, and she's like, "Oh, how do you do this?" I'm like, "Oh, it's this, that, and this." And it's like something at, at the hardware store or pressure washers. It's like, how do pressure washers work? I'm like, "Oh, they're like they they." They work like this. You put the power in, goes like that. She's like, oh, that was simple. I'm like, yeah, my, my, I have random things in my brain. Like, I know that. Plus, I could tell you who was on pole for the, you know, 2001 Pocono 500. That's my thing. The only things I remember are, like, racing facts from, like, the mid-2000s, um, guitar riffs, and, like, lyrics from songs from the 70s. And that's pretty much all I know. Other than that, I don't remember anything. So I know my anniversary, that's about it. That's what you should know. You definitely it's, should know that. It's March 31st, by the way, if you guys want to send me a gift. I'll be in you Send her a gift. Week. Come on. Oh, uh, we will be quarantined together that week because of travel. But anyway, uh, moving back into uh, sort of getting into what we're here to do today, which is review the 2009 Scott Sturfield 300 as picked by our good buddy, Danny. Um, it's the first time we've ever had anyone, we've ever reviewed a race that I think one of us has been to. So that's kind of cool. Unless James, like there's a race that we've reviewed that you've been to um not 100 sure i mean there might have been but mm-hmm. we'd have to look back in the annals of history and i don't Definitely. have time for that right now no, neither do I. we need a, yeah. we need like joe rogan's like jamie guy to look stuff up for us but um going into kind of like so 2009 was an interesting year because so it's the nationwide series at this point um it was the bush series up in 2007 sponsorship change in 2008 nationwide um, and I know like there's still those people online. They're like, it'll forever be the Bush series to me. And I'm like, I prefer to call it what it's you know called at the time. So it was the nationwide series, but the term we have to use is bushwhacking. So this like, this is in the prime time of bushwhacking. And if you're not familiar with the term bushwhacking, it was when all the cup drivers would come down and race on Saturdays in the Bush series and smoke everyone because they had their cup pit crews and they had better cars and they were experienced drivers. So this is a time when we're right in the middle of a five year stretch of a full-time cup series driver winning the nationwide series championship, which is pretty remarkable. So I thought bushwhacking was when you're at the bar and like, you're probably like in Key West and you're just like chugging a bunch of bushwhackers. Um, which, that might which, also be true, but yeah. I've never heard that. You did, oh uh, I, I don't know it might be a thing but it's like a it's a creamy drink it's like a pina colada but chocolate flavored with I, no pineapple. I, I imagine a bushwhacker is just a alcoholic chocolate milkshake and there you go yeah oh, okay there you go do you do you actually is that like your, your drink there danny uh i've had it one time there's a i'm in nashville we got good hot chicken places here yeah. there's a place called uh party fowl and they make really good chicken. They actually double fried a chicken and then they do the hot, the hot on it. And then they, they, they're known for getting hot chicken and a bushwhacker to go with it. It's a good combination, actually. That, that was, that was an interesting segue that, that they had that drink. So now that there's so much racing coming to Nashville in the next few years, there you go, folks. 
They also have really good speakeasies, but we're not going to tell people where those are at because I want (laughs) those mixologists exclusively to me. But yeah, man, that's that's funny. (laughs) I did not know that that would like all segue together, that bushwhacking would be somehow or bushwhackers would somehow be served in Nashville. But speaking of bushwhackers, so let's get everyone's take on this. So like, let's start with Danny. So like, what was your, I know this is always a heat. People still debate this on Twitter, like today, but like, what, what was your take on like all the cup drivers coming down? At the time I was granted, this is 2009. So I would have been like, uh, in my early teens. So, so, uh, you know, I'm like, more familiar with the cup guys. So I, I start hearing names like Carl Edwards, Kyle Bush, Kevin Harvick, uh, you know, those guys. And I'm like, oh yeah, cool. I'm actually getting to see some guys I know race. Because at the time I was very much casual. I didn't really watch the, the the lower series like I do today. So I didn't know who these guys were. You know, I didn't, I wasn't even as familiar with Brendan Gone, even though he'd been in a cup series. I just wasn't as familiar with him for that matter. So I hear those names and I was actually kind of more, excited that you know there, there are some some guys that I know in this race and and you know that's that was how I felt about it now today I think I'm more happy that they have limits I'm happy that you're not going to see someone like our champion from 2009 uh Kyle Busch Cup Series driver did he even run all the races that year I can't remember he did yeah okay so he did run all the races so at least he did that part but you're not going to see a guy from the Cup Series come down and basically take the championship away like that. Mm-hmm. Well, James, what are you? Well, you know, I think the championship uh, situation was definitely at the height when things were getting a little too out of control because to see someone like Carl Edwards or, or Brad Keselowski even and uh, Kyle Busch, when they all won their championships, they were full-time Cup Series drivers running full-time in the Cup Series and competing with Cup teams in – you know, the lower tier series. So it does make you scratch your head at a time. But then again, you have to even look back further into the annals history and look at guys like Mark Martin, Daryl Waltrip, mm-hmm. Dale Earnhardt, Ken Schrader, Jeff Bodine, uh, so many other cup series drivers since the inception of what is now known as the Xfinity series in the, in the eighties, all competed and all would take victories. I mean, you can even look at the Daytona race. I think the Daytona race for a huge majority of the, of its time was won by cup drivers only. And it's just cause it was bushwhacking. The thing it was won by Tony Stewart, like yeah. every time. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> but that's like the equivalent of like the modern, the modern version of it. Like now the modern version is you have the cup guys winning all the races and now they're winning the championship. And I think that's when just thing, when things boiled to that point, you know, you, you leave NASCAR with no choice, but to do what they've done, it's fair. It has created more, uh, ability for these drivers competing in the series like the trucks and the Xfinity series to have their time in the spotlight. Yeah. They don't get to race, you know, the top cup guys and the cop cup drivers don't get highlighted in these races anymore, but you know, for what they present still, the racing is still great. You know, just there's fewer recognizable names in it. So. I will say by doing this, you give guys more of a chance to kind of, make their own name. You're becoming more familiar with some of these guys, especially in the Xfinity series. You know, you if we were still in that era, would we would we know a Noah Gregson as much? Would we know a Harrison? Well, no, you know a Harrison Burton because of his dad. But either way, there's a lot more guys who are getting more recognition today 
because the spotlight isn't on Kyle Busch or Carl Edwards wins every week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, there probably wouldn't even be rides for those guys, you know, honestly, um, yeah. if guys could still run 26 Bush races or whatever. But, like, I, I think at the time I was very much of the opinion of, like, how, you know, America is a land of opportunity. If you want to race in every series, you should be allowed to, you know, like – freedom. We should not be stopping these guys. And then over time, and especially now that I know what I know and knowing people in the sport, I'm like, I'm glad that there's a limit, right? Because like these small teams would be competing against these huge teams and wouldn't have any opportunities. And, you know, I I think there was something to be said about how guys that came up, rookies that came to cup were definitely more ready in the mid two thousands because they were used to racing against that level of competition on Saturday. And now you could argue that like, there's a watered down level. And I'm making air quotes if you're listing, um, in the Xfinity series, because especially last year, I think we had like 11 competitive cars this year. It looks way better. Like this is, it looks amazing. There's like top 20 is all great cars. So I think I'm glad it is the way it is now. Like now that Kyle Busch is only allowed to win five races a year instead of like 20. So, you know, I think it, I, I think it's, I think they've done the right thing, you know, which even then Kyle Busch has already uh, failed to win a truck race this year. So, but he did win because he owns the truck that won. So he okay. lost, but he won. So he, yeah. he he can win in multiple ways. Um, but coming into this race, uh, you know, Clint Boyer was is actually the reigning champion. Uh, like we said full time Cup driver. Uh, Carl Edwards, a full time Cup driver, is the points leader by forty eight points over Brian Vickers, a full time Cup driver, um, and then Greg Biffle, another full time Cup driver, is in third. But Vickers and Biffle aren't running the full season. In fact, neither of them are in this race. But mm-hmm. back then there was no ineligibility. Like you got points in whatever series you ran, you got points in all of them. So uh, Brendan Gaughan is the first non-full-time cup driver uh, and he is the only one in the top five in points. So he's fifth in points. Which is um, actually, you know, kind of shocking at this point because, you know, it's been a very up and down season. You look at who, who's in the top five. Yep, Brian Vickers is not even running full-time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's in the top five and it's just, it's just, it's early in the season. I think what is this normally race five at this point? Race five or six. Bristol. Yeah. So it like um, for a lot of the cup guys, like who are competing full time and say who had an issue, they can still bounce back and compete for this championship. And then there's other, you know, Bush series drivers who are so far back in the points. Now they're just, they're in such a, a hole. There's no way they can even contend for the championship or the top five, which is like what's most important in this series. Cause the top five, gets to go to the banquet not the top 10 because they got to combo the truck and xfinity or at this time nationwide series banquets together you know in fact did you guys know we had uh we had nine cars fail to make this race and 43 started so there was uh 52 cars who attempted to enter this race yeah yeah this was, a, this was a big time for the xfinity series because like think about it all those gen 4 cup cars just coming out of the woodworks that's true yep. A lot yes. of them surplus. So many. Yeah. Cause you know, right now NASCAR's got that COT and then like all the ARCA teams and maybe some Xfinity teams probably got these cars. I don't know how mm-hmm. much of a difference. ARCA got between. a huge boost in these years when we went to the car yeah. tomorrow because they got all the old cars. Uh, but speaking of full-time cup drivers, there are nine full-time cup drivers in this race. So actually pretty watered down compared to what we usually have like three or four years earlier where they'd be like 22. Um, but I remember there was a race at Chicagoland one year, I think, where Johnny Sauter was the highest finishing non-cup driver, and he finished like 17th or something. So he was 16 cup drivers ahead of him. 
But this race, of course, as we mentioned, is at Bristol, but it's the reconfigured Bristol, baby. But yeah, so it reconfigured in 2007. So it's got progressive banking. So much like all of us, we're progressive. This track's progressive. Uh, But the biggest thing that the progressive banking was trying to do was create side-by-side racing. No more the single lane, one groove racetrack. Now you have the opportunity to race side-by-side. But Danny and Mark, the great debate since this re, like configuration has always been the old concrete Bristol or the new configuration. What was the better form of Bristol? Um, for me, the better form of Bristol was the old Bristol. I liked when Bristol was one groove. Um, it was, I don't know, it's just what I grew up with. I grew up with like you run the bottom and you bump people out of the way. Like if you get to the top line, you go backwards. Right. We see that in this race later on because um, there's really only one groove in this race is weird, but um, we like, we reviewed a, like a truck race from Bristol and I think it was 98 or 99, that one that we did James. And like that race was amazing. And there was only one groove. So like, I'm all for the one groove Bristol. I thought it was kind of weird when they reconfigured it. Like, yeah, it was cool to see like some people go to the top, like guys, like guys that usually run the top, like Brendan gone or Robbie Gordon guys that like to run the top could like find a groove up there. But I don't know. I grew up with, it's always, it's just nostalgia. That's what it is. It's not like any real argument for the old Bristol. It's like, it's just what I know. So I like it. What are you doing? I guess old Bristol produced better, more moments, I guess. But then again, we saw plenty of moments. There was a lot of, a lot of okay races there in this time period too. Like the, uh, the 20, 2011 or no, 2012 night race. Is that when the Tony Stewart helmet throw happened? I think so. Yeah, yeah, that one, yeah, last that one, year of the COTs, I believe. Yeah. That one was pretty good. Uh, the first the first race at the Gen 6 car in 2013 was pretty okay. Uh, but then there was uh, there was a number of races where it was kind of just like, mm, meh, just everyone running the high line. Nothing really happened. It felt like Bristol. Now that they've brought in the PJ1 compound, I think it brings in a – I don't want to call it – I don't want to call it old Bristol. I don't want to call it that Bristol we saw in 2009. It's something just entirely different. Like, I guess they sort of uh, manufactured old Bristol in a way, but it doesn't last for long. It lasts better for a short run, like mm, 50 laps or so. So if a caution comes out, it's going to be about like Bristol. uh, It's going to be like about like old Bristol all race if they have a caution every 50 laps, so. Yeah, the only problem is like to me, what makes old Bristol old Bristol is long runs. That true conveyor belt of cars. You got slower cars, you got faster cars, drivers who want to get by the slower cars battling for position. And that's when you get those, you know, the chrome horns, the bumps and runs. So I I see I definitely see your point there. But both of you were wrong. The answer is asphalt Bristol. Everyone knows asphalt Bristol is the best Bristol. I'm just kidding. How about, no, how about Days of Thunder Bristol, where it's not actually Bristol? It's a footage <laughs> from another racetrack. Yeah, I forgot what track. It looks like a go kart track, but it's a legit. Yeah, it, look, yeah, it literally track. looks like they went to some backwoods track for the weekend. But but um, but in but on a serious note, the thing was this: this was a big moment when this track was repaved, and you know, basically up to 2009, because like. I'm with Danny. Like there wasn't a lot of barn burner cup races. There was the first one was pretty dope when you had like Casey Kane barreling down, you know, almost about to win the race, but comes up just a bit short after that. It was, they're very lackluster. And, 
you know, you see the attendance of Bristol going down. And that was mm-hmm. a, a huge uh, point that people made was just the reconfiguration. It really just did it in. It made the racing just a little, I don't know, lackluster. And even the drivers thought so too. You even had Jamie McMurray quoted back in 2010 saying, I've always been a fan of the old Bristol. The track was just more fun to race. The fact that the surface is concrete doesn't really make any difference to me. You know, if concrete's concrete, because people have talked about bringing it back to asphalt, which is not, I don't think that's the right. Isn't thing. Dale Jr. a big proponent of that? Doesn't he want it to be asphalt? I think he just, he wants, I think he understands what asphalt does. And there's like a not, I, I think, Danny, you can attest to it from some of the uh, research you've done for Nashville. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's like a feel for concrete and asphalt tracks. They're totally different surfaces and they bring different driving styles out. And some drivers just don't want to adapt to that concrete or they just have yeah. that knack for asphalt. Yeah, concrete tracks are, are very interesting. It's kind of interesting that the, the other track in Tennessee, Nashville Super Speedway, is a bigger track. It's one one and a third of a mile, but it's a concrete surface. And it'll be interesting to see how today's uh, how today's cars will handle on that kind of surface. But I thought it was interesting you said what you did about Jamie McMurray because uh, he actually had a great run about there in the same time period from 2010 to 2012. He got uh, four top tens and two top fives in that run. So he didn't like it, but he figured out that's like very, that's like a very Kyle Busch thing to do, like win the race and then get out to complain about how bad the car drove. But, you know, or when he, when he's complaining at his crew and he's like in the top five, but you know, perfection, right? You could yeah, always um, make something better, you know, a hundred percent, you know, I, I agree. Um, but Jay, we, I think we really, now this is cool because we have Danny here, but we have to go to our favorite segment of the, the podcast, which is strange, strange starters. starters. What a strange person. So we've never really had a guest um, pick out strange starters. We did have have Champ Web do it with us, but uh, but now we what we're doing is we each picked a couple of guys in the field. So we're not going to do all of them because man, this one has a lot. There's like twenty we could have picked in this race. There's quite a few. So we each picked two because we don't have all night to talk about all twenty of the guys that are in this race. So uh, I'm going to kick us off with uh, the man on the pole, Brendan gone he's driving the number 62 south point chevy for rusty wallace incorporated actually it might have been rusty wallace race thing at this time i think the team it was, changed it, it, it was our it was rwr i think yeah rusty it changed names at one because point. it was an, i thought it was interesting they had the same initials as rickler racing so yes it, it initially was rwi and I, think, I think it was 06 07 they changed it but um Brendan doesn't seem like a weird one because you probably know Brendan gone if you're like our age and if you've been watching NASCAR the last five or six years, well, he's in the Xfinity series every year. Um, but, you know, at this point, Brendan gone, uh, you know, to me, he was that classic truck series driver from 02, 03, who won a bunch of races. To me, he's the rifle champion of the 2003 season. He hadn't got taken out by those ultra motorsports trucks. He would have won that race or he would have won the championship at Homestead that year. Uh, he tried his hand in the Cup Series in 2004 with Penske and then uh, returned back to the Truck Series and in 2009 decided to move up to the then-named Nationwide Series with Rusty Wallace's team. So uh, then over the next few years, he ran with Rusty Wallace, he ran with Jermaine, he went back to Trucks for a bit, he went to RCR and then spent that long period at RCR where he actually in 2014 
became a two-time nationwide series winner, winning at Road America and Kentucky. So Brendan Gone, always a favorite of mine. Um, you know, I love South Point Hotel in Las Vegas. I've been there a couple of times. So it's just cool to support uh, support Brendan Gone and uh, he, his family. He was a 33-year-old rookie that season. Oh, fun fact. Did they still have rookie practice at that point? Because I know they did in the mid-2000s for a little bit. You got like an extra 20 minutes. Uh, that I don't know. I remember in 06, Andre, John Andretti was a rookie and he got the extra rookie practice. And he was like, what, 40-something years old and had a million cup starts? But, you know, by definition, he was a rookie. So, Danny, who have you got for your first strange starter? I have got driving the number 81 Dodge for – Let's see who he was driving for again. Pat McDonald. And this is none other than the current spotter of my current favorite Cup Series driver, Alex Bowman, Mr. Kevin Hamlin, in the middle of his still uh, career as a driver that, I don't know, would you guys say it was really much as a driver for Kevin Hamlin? I mean, he made it to the Xfinity series, so that's a lot yeah. more than a lot of people could say. So he yeah. was briefly in the Ganassi fold, I think. He drove all the races that Montoya didn't drive in 07. Like he was the extra driver. So yeah. that I remember. And I remember him driving for Fitz Bradshaw in like a hot tamales car one time. That is true. That is true. Yeah, that I remember. But that was uh that was the second most races that he ran in one season in Xfinity series in 2005. He ran 14, and in 2009, this was one of his 13 starts that season. And then he didn't race much after that, I don't think, and then he went into the spotting. Uh, I think after after 2010, 2010, he ran five Xfinity races, and then that was it. Yeah, Kevin Hamlin actually spotted for a team I worked with one time with the Rolex 24, so small world, man. Um, your, your best spotters are former drivers, so. 100%. Yeah, that's 100%. James, who have you got for your first guy? I got the guy, I mean, with the name of a race car driver. His name is Scott Speed. That's right. Driver of the number 99 Red Bull Toyota for Michael Waltrip Racing. Uh, that's right. 2009 was Scott Speed's first season in the Nationwide Series. Yes, he was competing full-time in the Cup Series, people. But you know what? He's just running a partial Xfinity Series or Nationwide Series schedule, so relax. He's kind but of bushwhacking. Can, uh, can you call it bushwhacking for how his Cup Series career went? Uh, you know, I, I, I can't say that he was trying to get seat time because that's what 2008 should have been. Like, to be a harsh critic about it, like Red Bull should have put him in more rides in 2008 because i know he had those cup a uh, couple of truck starts before he went to the bill davis ride and then did decently there but i think he should have had some xfinity or nationwide starts then too but um a little bit about scott if you didn't know he was the winner of the red bull u.s driver search also known as the search not the red bull like driver developmental academy not red bull academy no red bull search the search he did compete in F1 for Toro Rosso, I believe. He did a season, I think it was 2006. Um, yeah, it was a season. 06 uh, is partway through 07, and then he got sent home after the Monza race. Yeah, so. it was not good. A lot of good, not good friction. But he was able to keep in good ties with Red Bull, which was big, because that's who got him the opportunity 
to come on down America or race these big old heavy stock cars. So like we said, this is a joint effort between Red Bull Racing and MWR. And uh, you know, Scott is just gonna make his second start now in the Xfinity series. The previous start came at Vegas and he won the pole. So I guess he's got some skills in, in the Xfinity car for the limited amount of time he's been driving, but uh, we'll see how he does at Bristol now. Jeez, this is gonna be interesting. You go from F1 to Bristol. That's pretty, that's pretty baller. Go ahead. Who were some of the other drivers that ran at number 99 that season? Uh, if I can double check that. I'll, I'll do, I'll Trevor Bain it. did later in the year. Which he yeah, looked Trevor, like he was going to win Iowa and then got messed yeah. up by the, by the guest pace car driver, I think. Uh, I think Michael probably drove some races. So um, David Rudiman as well drove. Patrick Carpentier drove at Montreal. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, and Michael Waltrip. So the, it was... Uh, Waltrip, who started the season, then Speed jumped in, then Bain got in in the midpoint of the season, did a couple of races with Michael Waltrip. Then it was Carpentier, Speed finished out the season with uh, Rudiman, and then you know Bain did have a couple other starts at the end of the season with Speed finishing it out. And uh, unfortunate, man, fun fact, but not so fun fact, Trevor Bain didn't make the Memphis race. That could have been, that could have been well, a winner right there. But before he drove the 99, that should be a great uh, segue into Mark's next guy. Yeah, so my next guy is Trevor Bain. So Trevor Bain in this race, he's making his NASCAR national debut. So he's never raced in trucks, Xfinity, or Cup at this point. Uh, he This is before, long before he was the 2011 Daytona 500 winner. Um, he was, at the time, a DEI or technically an Earnhardt Ganassi racing development driver um, because the teams had just merged uh, prior to the 2009 season. And this entry is listed as Jimmy Means. Now, I couldn't find the article, but I remember reading about this when it happened. I believe it was actually a DEI car and motor, but it was entered as the 52 to use Jimmy Means owner points. So they'd be locked into the race. Mm-hmm. And Trevor Bain drove it. And then Bob Jenkins from Front Row Motorsports, because of his uh, alignment uh, as a technical partner of the team, put Taco Bell on the car and gave them some money to help them out, pay for tires and whatnot. So that's why it's the 52, technically, Jimmy Means Taco Bell car. So Trevor Bain, uh, this is his only start he's going to make with Earnhardt Ganassi before he goes and signs a deal with Michael Waltrip uh, later in the year. It's still funny that Taco Bell was on that car, but it's like, it's more than a deal that's like part of Bob's franchise of Taco Bell. That's not the actual Taco Bell right. corporation, yeah. right? It's He's more just like, like allowed just like BK racing. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, he can advertise the companies he owns, but you know, so he puts them on there, but that's not a real, it's not a real sponsorship really. So because in the past you've seen Taco Bell uh, on Dale Earnhardt Jr. in the Bush series. So those were real sponsorships. Um, Danny, you got your second and final strange starter. Who you got? Yeah. We're speaking of sponsorships right here. Uh, I guess you, you could be kind of controversial of this sponsor looking back <laughs> on it now. Uh, Kenny, Kenny Wallace, you know, at that point, he's towards the end of his career. Uh, and he's still, he's still making. A we full, think he's near the season. end of his career. It's going to race like for a while yet. Yeah. We, yeah. we, we, we on, on dirt, but, uh, but the, towards, towards the end of his NASCAR career, and he's still doing work with speed, which we all miss to this day. Uh, but he was doing some work with them and actually pretty good doing it with them, but he'd still be racing each week, driving number 28 for Jay Robinson, the Border Patrol Chevrolet. This is, of course, the uh, brother of Rusty Wallace, and it was also 
one of the few seasons he ran full time against his nephew Stephen Wallace. Yeah, that's Brendan Gaughan's teammate. I should mention that. Did it's a shame that like they didn't like uh, compete with like 2007, wasn't it? Like Mike Wallace, Stephen Wallace, it could have been Kenny Wallace as well. Like he had the trio. Yeah, should have just gotten Rusty a third car and ran a race. Yes, he owned his own car. Come on, man, he couldn't couldn't have I don't pulled think, that thing did, out. Did Kenny ever drive for Rusty? I don't think he did. I don't think no, he ever think made so. a start for Rusty. No. I know Mike did a few times, but I don't think Kenny ever did. I don't think Kenny ever did. I, I think Kenny just had too many other deals already lined up. Yeah, just swimming in deals. Kenny, Kenny was, was like the ultimate fill-in driver, like in the mid-2000s in Cup. Like if you guy was injured or like if you're a Kurt Busch and you got let go before the end of the year, oh, Kenny Wallace just hopped in there. Like he was yep. like the guy for that. So now Big it's uh, now it's Regan Smith. But back then it was Kenny Wallace, so – Hey, if you got that serviceful race car driver who's got a really good reputation of like not wrecking the car, just bringing the car home, you know, just doing the job, you know, he's not out there to go win. He's out there to perform the service of start the race, finish the race and bring home one piece. I mean, definitely Kenny Wallace was that guy for a long time. Cause I don't think he was ever like a crash pound guy. You know what I mean? No, he, he's a guy that could evaluate your race team for sure. Like could know mm-hmm. like what you guys need to do, but you said bring it home. So James, why don't you bring it home on strange starters here? Who's your final guy? Oh, man, I love this one. This is my favorite fun fact of 2009 all the time. Michael McDowell driving the number 47 Tom Snacks Toyota for JTG Doherty Racing. Yeah, that's right. MWR didn't renew Michael McDowell's contract for 2009. Their loss, so he went to JTG Doherty's nationwide program. And they had Tom Snacks on the car. Fire looking number 47 with the orange and the Tom Snacks. Who doesn't love chips? I love chips. Now, here's the problem, though. The sponsorship only lasted until the second Daytona race. And when there was no sponsor, McDowell was out of the 47, which was a shame because I was at that Daytona race. I remember seeing Michael, like, at the autograph session. And, like, just I was so happy for him this season to have this ride. And I thought it was a great, you know, ride. I was a fan. I was excited and pumped. And then, like, you know, you get to go see him race and it's his last race with the team and you know, he's not coming back mm. and it's just like gutting. It, it sucked, but like, it was great to see him though. <laughs> Besides that, but he, but he finished the season out with a couple of different teams. Uh, most notably, he made uh, one more start with uh, JTG, but mainly ran a lot of the season with uh, Brian Keselowski and uh, Bob Keselowski, you know, K automotive uh, racing team. And just ran it out. Um, he ran in the top 10 points for even a good chunk of that second half of the season when he wasn't in competitive rides. It just shows you how the, the point situation was. He was in a really good point situation when the sponsor let go. So just a shame. But, uh, man, I always loved that ride. That was probably one of my favorite drivers in the Xfinity Series in 2009. It did look really sharp, really bright orange. And they, they occasionally had uh, Kroger on there as well, which that's, you know, what you expect of JTG Darty written today. So, hey, that's a, it's always like such a great B2B deal that they have had with Kroger. And it's mm-hmm. like at least help them keep the lights on, especially for that 37 team for as m- many races as they can this year. I mean, if I had, if I had $10 million, I'd throw it straight at that 37 car right now, but <laughs> I kind of don't. Well, Going into JT Jordy is actually a really good segue into the broadcast because one of the members of that team is involved in the broadcast. But for this race, we are on the wide, the, like the worldwide leader in sports. We are on ESPN. 
So this is during the period where ESPN came back and had full rights of the nationwide series. So they mm-hmm. came back in 2007 and they had the whole nationwide series for when did they go until again, James, 2012 or 2013? Uh, 2013 was the end of their, their contract yeah. with NASCAR. So they had it, they had exclusive rights to the nationwide series for a good six years, seven years almost. So right. to, to them, that was big brand recognition. I thought it went better next. I thought that, ESPN covered uh, Kevin Harvick's championship in 2014. Oh, you know, you're right, Danny. It is 2014. Yeah. 2014 was the last year that they had it. It was a, so that's an eight year run, man. That's like a, for, for them to have that. I mean, it's cool that this, that speed and now Fox has the truck series, but like to have the exclusive rights to the nationwide series, it's big, dude. Mm-hmm. That's like, you got the, at the time it was pretty big. Cause they had a lot of sponsors. But Mark, even bigger. Yeah, it's a, it's ESPN's crew, but this race is on ABC, baby. You got the network coverage. And not only that, not only were they covering this race, afterwards they were agreeing to stay covering it because they were doing a Legends race right after it with the likes of Kel Yarbrough, Sterling Marlin. Uh, I think Rusty Wallace was even in that one. Yeah, wasn't David Pearson in that as well? David Pearson, lots of people were. The Harry Gant, I think, was in one of them by I, the years. I don't think I, this one. I, I saw both of those. 2009 was good. 2010 was obviously marred with the terrible crash of Larry Pearson. Yeah, which was a bummer. But uh, I think it's the Legend Showdown, was it? the? Yes, presented by Scott. So the same people who sponsored the uh, this race. That was a good promotional race, though. I mean, that's just a mm-hmm. fun exhibition race. And for... You know, the sake of like this, it was very educational. You got to learn about a lot of drivers that you never got to see racing your time. I'm 25 years old and can say I saw Kale Yarbrough race. Who else can say that? Exactly. I cannot say that. So physically saw him race. I didn't see him on the YouTube. I saw him with my eyes. <laughs> That's pretty baller, actually. But um, the crew for this race is probably like it might be like my favorite broadcast crew from like my time watching NASCAR. We've got Dr. Jerry Punch on the play-by-play. We've got Dale Jarrett, who just got out of a car a couple of years before. Mm-hmm. And Andy Petrie, the great crew chief and team owner from the early 2000s. So this is one of my favorite booth crews because Jerry Punch is so good. And then Dale actually provides like some of the best insight. Like some people gripe about him on Twitter. I love Dale Jarrett in the booth. He's awesome. Like he's fantastic. And he's Andy great. Petrie is just providing like such such good analysis of what's happening because he's he was a crew chief not that many years before mm-hmm. so and now yeah, he's a crew chief again isn't he in the truck series uh no, no he's competition he, director right no, he's, yeah, he's, oh he's, yeah because he, he was on somebody's box during the race and i was like what yeah i he's remember involved again i remember at bristol in 2019 we were uh we were hanging out with uh sloppy joe their their esports driver at the time and we were over at the rcr place we were talking with andy Petrie, he was over there that's awesome, man. I'd love to sit down and have a chat with Andy, man. He's for sure. He's got all kinds of amazing stories, but yeah, they're my favorite crew, man. I think they're, they're a solid lineup. But you know, what's even greater than that? It's ESPN. So you have the ESPN pit studio. Oh man. That's right. You have three heavy hitters in the booth and then you got like three heavy hitters in a nice air conditioned studio setting trackside. And my man, Alan Beswick's in there with uh, Segway man, Mr. Brad Doherty and Rusty Wallace. And this is kind of interesting because uh, I always love Brad's analysis. I think Brad's probably like one of the most interesting people 
uh, to talk about the sport because he brings a lot of perspective just being an owner and, and more of an outsider who wasn't like growing up in the sport or had that traditional upbringing within it. He got in the way he did. He was just and, a, he was just a diehard fan like us. Exactly. And then he had the opportunity. And what's interesting here is he's still really learning to be a broadcaster. And the same with Rusty. Like no offense to Rusty, but he was not as sharp and as fluent as he is today when he first got to ESPN, even with the IndyCar stuff, he was definitely fish out of water there. And then that was the, so awkward. That 06 yeah. season where he's covering IndyCar. And then he had the 07 season with NASCAR. He, him and Andy just, it seemed like they stepped on each other's toes and it wasn't like on purpose, just Rusty couldn't find the timing. And you have both of them working with Alan Beswick, who really, I've read some articles. He really took Rusty under his wing and, and kind of like showed him a little bit of the ropes and understanding like, this is what you should and shouldn't do. And, and how to you know make him a better presenter and better broadcaster, and you can hear it now on MRN because he's such a, a good play-by-play guy even uh, which, even which, today. To be on the radio covering it, you've got to be at the best you can be because you're literally painting a picture for people mm-hmm. who are listening, and that's uh, that's really good. Which I will say, uh, I remember Iowa tw- 2009, which Rusty Wallace is a big. Uh, shareholder in Iowa when it first opens up he had so much more energy and a lot more passion during that one I remember him specifically was a lot more enthusiastic during that one yeah I mean he he just he's got I, skin in the game right but yeah, even actually he's got he, he's got cars in the field right so yeah. you know um but the thing about Bristol though James we get two pit roads right so yeah. Bristol is so small we got one on the back stretch one on the front stretch so we need some extra pit reporters so for this one We've got four pit reporters. We have got the likes of Shannon Spake, Dave Burns, Mike Massaro, and Vince Welsh. We have a solid pit road. Of course, everyone knows Vince Welsh now, now as the play-by-play voice of the – I almost said the Craftsman Truck Series, the Camping World Truck Series. I just so. always remember him as the voice of IRL 2000 for the Nintendo 64. Oh, Vince Welsh. He's been doing is he actually in the video game? Is he like is the voice player? in the video game. He's like, I'm Vince Welch. And I'm like, no way. Yeah. And I, it's so funny that ESPN like got everyone from the NBC crew, basically. Yeah. Plus, like they had like a lot of their old, you know, uh, staples in motorsports come up and, and do this like uh, venture with NASCAR. They, they had so much talent. It was, you know, it's uh, insane. The, those four pit reporters, Shannon Spake, Dave Burns, and Vince Welch, they all went on to do uh, some more stuff after ESPN went away. Where'd Mike, where'd Mike Massaro go? What's he doing these days? I think he was loyal with ESPN. Okay. Probably I'm not sure where he's at. Some other, yeah, some other ESPN broadcasts. Because I know that's what Alan Bestwick was doing for a while, which they, they give him like college football, which at least is a little bit more entertaining than some things he could have been doing. He could cover golf and like a table tennis match, and I'd be captivated. He could cover it's true. Alan Betts covered covered like supermarket sweep and I'd watch it like, you know, yeah. he'd do an amazing job. So he, he's just amazing. And, you know, to, to Danny's point from earlier, you know, he started in radio, so he knows how to paint a picture. You know what I mean? Guys, we have an in-race reporter for this race. This is something ESPN would always do. They would have an in-race reporter and it is the 2007 series champion, Carl Edwards, who, you know, is always great when he was like up in the booth helping out or when he had to do anything on camera, he was always fantastic. So we're going to call down to him multiple times under caution and find out what's going on inside the race car in this 300 lapper at Bristol. So what's going on? 
I, I like, like that they did that though, because you know, I always feel like it's an inconvenience when they just drop in on the driver. Yeah. You know, especially when they're having a conversation with the crew. It's like now they, you know. he he knew who was he knew he was gonna be called on at some point. Yeah. Uh and also things that ESPN did that was kind of interesting back then, they did the in race reporter. They did they put a camera on a NASCAR official to to give you the, the official perspective. They do a random pit crew member to also do that as well. And then they did the, this is when the internet was still blossoming. They did the mailbag question where, you know, someone, they pick a random email, which I I hope is actually from a legitimate fan, not just something that they had someone, some intern type up and say they did it, but uh, they did they did do that at least. Yeah, I remember back when, you know, you watch a lot of the older races and you see, oh, we have a mailbag question. It's like a physical letter. It's like, did somebody write in and write that? People used to send, send fan mail. Apparently people still do. So, Well, I mean, you know, back in the day when you're doing on Inside Winston Cup, at least you could be entered to win a Miller Genuine Draft jacket. Not that we condone alcohol, but that's the second time we mentioned it in this. But what ESPN doesn't have is the Affleck trivia question. So that'll forever be, you know, with NBC. In, actually, fun fact, that started with CBS. James is always with the fun facts of all like, the stuff that you didn't know. This is CBS thing back in the mid nineties. I was like, what? This thing's been around for a while, but they should bring so, it back. Athlax start spending some money in racing again. So some quick pre-race notes for this one. As I mentioned, 300 laps, which turns out to, if you do the math, 159.9 miles, not quite 160. That would be ridiculous. Brendan Gaughan is starting on the pole. It is his first pole of his nationwide series career. Seven cars failed to qualify. Uh, two withdrew, so technically nine cars missed the field. We've got 10 full-time cup drivers in the field. And, of course, Danny was there. That's the yeah. most important pre-race note is that Danny was there. We have an in-stands reporter because Danny was there. Yeah, and I have a note here. So here's a fun fact. Since I was, since this is the first race that I attended, I remember with Scott's being the race sponsor, I thought it was weird that a company dedicated to better growing grass was sponsoring a race at the only track without a single patch of grass on the inside of the facility. And then to counter me, I see the people at Scott's putting down little sections of turf right in front of the driver introduction stage. So they brought their own grass. And now it's all dirt. So if it's not that kind of grow grass on it, they could. You guys and your grass, Cheech and Chong over there. We're going to get to the race and Danny, it's Bristol baby. And you know what mm-hmm. Bristol means? Rex. Eh. I feel like there was a decent amount. I don't think it was like a wreck fest, but like, you know, or, to me, a stereotypical uh, Bristol race has like 11 cautions. There was 300 laps in this race and you had 10 cautions. So that equals out to being an average of only 20 green flag laps. So that's actually about right for Bristol. But not a lot of big wrecks. There are like lots of cautions, but we don't get a lot of cars like destroyed like we uh, like we usually see. We do get one big stack up. Yeah, that was that was about the biggest one. And that was like right at the end, right? Yeah, green flag is in the air, and immediately uh, pulls it to Brennan gone uh, struggling right off the bat. So I don't know mm-hmm. if they just like took a big swing at it and qualifying to get him the pole, but. Uh, he tries to make the top line work off the bat, and it doesn't work, and he drops in positions. Carl Edwards is out front early, but, of course, as you said, it's Bristol, so there's a very early caution, just nine laps into the race. 
I'd say Brendan Gaughan had a short run car because he only led like six laps. And then <laughs> yeah, and then we never really like see him again other than when he has problems. So it's unfortunate for Brendan Gaughan. You know, I know they were probably thinking that they were going to have a good run, you know, especially starting first. So, but we get another caution after another. So Jenny said 20 lap runs. So we get, we get caution lap nine. And we get another caution on lap 26. And unfortunately it's Danny's guy, Kevin Hamlin, who gets in the wall. I don't know if he blew a tire or... He just hit the wall hard and I think it was turn two. And then that car uh, wasn't out of the race. They got it fixed and he was back in the race later on, but you know, not, not a factor at all. But the thing is the factor is the bottom groove right now. The bottom groove is the preferred groove. I don't know why, but for some reason the top's just not working, but I can tell you what, just by looking at the coverage, um, there's no rubber up there. It's very, very, very not dark. It's very, very concrete looking. So uh, I know that like there's been a couple of days worth of practice on this surface, but I don't think anyone has explored the top. So, you know, you try have guys like Brendan Gaughan trying to work it. Justin Allgaier is trying to work it. Brad Keselowski is trying to work it. But it seems like the second they just, you know, get on the third lap of trying to work in the outside, it, it, the car just slips out of the groove and it's like trying to catch it before it gets in the wall. So it's like almost like what's the point of trying to work it in if you can't even ride in it for five laps? Yep. And then we got trouble with strange starters on lap 41. So Trevor Bain, my guy, uh, gets into it. He just gets a little loose underneath Brandon Witt in the 61. There's some synchronized spinning, but not a lot of damage to either car. So they're both all right. Brandon Witt's another guy that any of us could have picked for strange starters because like, that's true. he's got to be one of the weirdest guys that's ever won a race at one of the top three levels in NASCAR. Guy you don't really think about a lot, but Brandon Witt spinning with Trevor Bain. And then... Again, as Danny prefaced, man, the caution's the name of the game. So you better have a good short run car because we're not going to see a lot of long runs in this one. Short run car, you better have track position because I feel like that's what's more important. It's about having that place on the track. But Danny, come on. There's a lot of cup drivers up in the game, you know, about 50 laps in, but, you know, we do see some full-time Nationwide Series regulars kind of mixing it up. My boy, the man, the myth, the legend, Jason Leffler. He's going strong in that number 38. He's running up in the uh, in the top five, hanging around the fourth position. I don't know why. Bristol just a track that suits him. And you know what? I always loved Braun racing back in the day. I love how they showed up with like three cars. And like they'd always have Leffler in a car as a full-time Xfinity guy or a Nationwide guy. And then like everyone else would be in a cup car or would be a cup driver in the car, you know, it's just a and, and they, team. They get a wide variety of people because like 2008, especially you saw Kyle Busch driving for him when he wasn't with uh, Joe Gibbs. You, mm-hmm. you saw Brian Vickers make a lot of starts. You saw Casey Kane make a lot of starts for them. But then you saw some that were random, like their number 10 entry in this race was Kelly Byers with not even a sponsor for the race. Mm-hmm. Certain part. Just ran like three laps and parked it. Yeah. And then Bernie Lamar is driving the 32 in this race. That's, so. that's back when uh, Dollar General was still like, ooh, Bernie Lamar. Yeah, he's our boy. We we gotta we gotta stick with him. They were still hitching their their, their themselves to that wagon for some reason. But but hey, you know, it shows that like re- relationships are very strong in racing. Like, yeah, you could have like the best car, best team, win all the races, but like if you're not if you can't build a good relationship with the sponsor, they're not gonna stay with you. So like, politics yeah. man it's just like it's just like it's just like pro sports it's all politics it's all about who you know and the relationships that you have you know 
We get a 40 lap green flag run here though. Uh, but unfortunately uh, during that, uh, Brendan gone, the pole sitter, uh, as bad day goes from you know bad to worse. He has a flat right rear and it takes him a while to get it down. The problem with Bristol there around the bottom is like, you can't get your car to the bottom of the track to get off the racing surface and get to pit road. But after about a lap or so, he manages to get it down. Uh, he would unfortunately never recover from that. He would end up finishing 21st. And by get it down, you're like saying he's just stuck up on the outside and he's like riding yeah, around. exactly. Can't, can't get, get it clear. Pits, you know? Yeah. It's a bummer, man. It's the conveyor belt just continually flying around beneath you. Uh, James, we got to check in on uh, Mr. Happy Harvick. Happy? Oh, happy. He's doing good because Kevin right now, he's running in second. You know, he started 11th. You know, stereotypical Kevin Harvick kind of, you know, nationwide series day, just running around in his number 33. But, you know, Jerry Punch has beaten, beaten it with a dead horse all race. Kevin Harvick hasn't won in his own Xfinity Series equipment. Kevin Harvick has not won in his own Nationwide Series equipment. Kevin Harvick is not. Okay, we get it, Jerry. The man <laughs> hasn't won in KHI car, but can he do it today? He's looking strong, but who knows? He's even got Regan Smith's pit crew because you know how much he complains about pit crews. I mean, he is, I don't know, Danny, like Kevin is notorious to me for blowing up at the pit crew, like, puts them like you know you guys gave me a slow stop you know i'm back here but it, it just seems like kevin's the guy that always gets the short end of the stick on pit road and has issues i mean when you're the team owner you can kind of more be that boss and be like i'm disappointing you guys i remember uh, listening to an interview with cole pern when he worked at rcr and he said that like they would literally just rotate people into kevin's like car all the time because he'd like fire them halfway through the race all the time. Be like, I don't want any of these guys on my crew next week. So they just like rotate crew members from other cars, like in and it would be swapping all the time. And like week eight, you'd be like, yeah, I'm back on Kevin's car this week because he hasn't seen me in a while, you know, like, so it was just, yeah, Kevin, um, happy Harvick is if you're not aware is a very ironic nickname. So it's because, you know, it represents happy Gilmore. If you didn't get it. If you've never seen that brilliant piece of Adam Sandler filmmaking, please go check it out. I feel, uh, I like, after, oh, sorry, go ahead, James. I just feel like no one really brings that up. Like we just call him Happy Harvick, but no one's like putting Happy Gilmore next to Kevin Harvick and saying these two are the same people. But it's I true. Know. I don't yeah, know why we're not doing it. He has two nicknames: Happy Harvick, which I didn't really understand why they called him that. Now I know. Uh, and then the closer, because mostly I think the closer come from the 2007 Daytona 500. I mean, it's just every race that Mike Joy's calling that he's about to win. He just shows the up closer. The, <laughs> the closer. He does it. <laughs> he does it just for me. Only for when I only when I call the race. There's been a couple of times where he just randomly shows up too. So I guess I guess that nickname sticks. But I like Happy more just because he man he was a hothead for a while. Jeez. I suspended that one time after that altercation. So I mean, right, 2002, so. I think it was Two, yeah. 2002. I mean, you know, he was on probation. And Kenny Wallace filled in for him. So it all comes full <laughs> circle. <laughs> but anyways, you know, there's a restart and we get that. And that's on lap 93. And then change of pace. We're treated to a nice, long green flag run. And with that, ESPN does what NBC did back in the day. They take the opportunity to show us the entire field because they know the whole story is not being told by just focusing on some cup guys. So you got to showcase, you know, the regulars in the series, you know, get the fans introduced to some new names. And it's a nice aspect of the broadcast, you know, 
take a and, break. And actually, if you watch this broadcast, they started this up to speed from 10th position and purposely said they wanted to show some guys back farther in the field because they think the top nine were probably all cup drivers. So they're like, let's show you. It started with Justin Allgaier, and then we heard about a few guys, but then it's interrupted by a caution. So mm-hmm. on lap 138, which really shakes things up because the fuel window here, 300 lap race, the fuel window is 140 to 150 laps, right? But you're going to get a lot of cautions, which are going to help your fuel mileage. So do you come in on lap 138 62 with, with, with 162 to go and try and go to the end on fuel, right? Or, you know, do you pit for tires, you know, again, later in the race? That's really the question because James talked about track position being so important, but how important are tires, especially on such a green surface like this? Well, you know, it seems like everyone's going to try to stretch it on fuel because they're sort of within their fuel mill window and they know that there's definitely going to be some more caution. So pit stops are made. That happens. We get another restart this time before we hear from our in-race reporter, Carl Edwards. Hey, man, looks like you uh, made some nice adjustments on that car and got it out front. Uh, any more adjustments this stop? Yeah, we did just a little bit more. So hopefully it's not too much, you know, uh... It's hard to tell because, you know, the traffic was such a big factor. That last run, I, I got uh, by a 33 and, and 18 because um, they were racing so hard with uh, with Nemechek there. But, uh, heck, it was good. I enjoyed it while it lasted. So hopefully we keep on doing it. Hey, Carl, we started with uh, cloudy conditions. Now the sun has come out. Is that affecting the racetrack any? I don't know. It might be. Uh, whatever it is, our car is good right now. So, uh, you know, I don't want it to get back. You know, I don't want those clouds to come back again. <laughs> All right, Carl. Thanks. Good luck. So Carl seems pretty happy, you know, he's just, you know, waiting for his time to really pounce. He's been strong up front the entire race, but he knows it's not over yet. And he knows there's a lot more racing to happen. So it happens on lap 144, but you know, things don't stay clean and green after this restart. We do have a couple of cautions that break up the action. Kyle Busch though, he cemented himself at the front of the pack at this point as a race leader. Unfortunately though, Mike, Bliss was one of the cautions. Mark, the OG strange starter. He's the OG. He's the strangest starter of all he was time. The, he was the first caution, and now he's involved in another caution. And this time it was on lap 174. He got together with Morgan Shepard. Unfortunate. Yeah, Morgan Shepard just kind of like moved him out of the way. Actually, Morgan Shepard got a little impatient there and just kind of just kind of bumped him. But that's Bristol, you know. That's just how it is. Yeah, Mike seemed to be off the pace this race. I mean, it's just a very un-Mike Bliss kind of race. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, he had he struggled that year with Phoenix. Despite winning a race at Charlotte, he really they didn't really have a very good run that year. And then, obviously, I got to plug it. Go check out the Strange Starters video on our YouTube channel about Mike Bliss. The first video we ever did about Mike Bliss. Go check it out, and we talk all about it in there. But, yeah, struggled that year quite a bit. He did. But you know what's really struggling? This outside groove, because you know it's over halfway through the race, and guys, no one can get on the outside to make anything happen for more than just five laps. Justin Allgaier was the most recent victim when he just slipped up out of the groove and almost hit the wall. Jeez, kept kept number twelve off the wall. But I mean, it's it's just weird. But you know what? We're about halfway through. Over halfway through, we got to give two shoutouts really quick. One, Stephen Wallace has cracked the top ten. And then right with them is Paul Menard, who's having another solid run in the top 10. And in fact, this was Menard's first start in the Nationwide Series in 2009 in the number 98 
for Robert Yates Racing in that bright yellow Menards car. Yeah, he's wow. he's driving. Paul Menard Yates. was driving a Menards car. What? He was driving the Yates and Cup. Remember I, that? Uh, I don't really talk about this a lot. I was always kind of low key a Paul Menard fan. So yes. How can you not? Uh, Everyone is. How can you not be a fan of Paul Menard? You just want to see the guy succeed, you know? Like, this is a weird year. Yeah, he was with Yates and Cup, and Bobby Labonte was his teammate. Like, he's racing, obviously, with the the, the family money and all that, but he never struck me as, like, a rude guy. He never struck me as anyone who was, you know. He never left a lasting impression, really, on many people because he was very quiet right yeah. like he he didn't really get in a lot of trouble he didn't you know like and he was, was just pretty serviceable too he did good he didn't wreck a lot of cars so no and that's the thing it's like you know you look at a guy like people like to always mention john west townley is the you know oh driving around with money from the family and he was wreck wrecking everything it's like yeah but there's people driving around with money from their family who are good drivers you just don't have to that's like, the thing knock yeah, it. it's i don't care how much money you have if you wreck a lot of equipment no team owner is going to put you in their cars like, yeah. you know, if you're wrecking every week. So Paul, you know, was able to be in the series for a really long time with lots of different teams. He did move around quite a bit. Some strange starter potential, perhaps. But um, yeah, you know, he, interesting one. And Stephen Wallace too, he started, I think he started 26th in this race. Started 30th. He started 30th, deep in the yeah. field. Yeah. Deep in the field and made his way uh, all the way up to, uh, you know, into the top 10. Yeah, he's running great so far. But, you know, we're, we're still kind of under this like green, flag caution flag cycle you know every about 10 laps so under one of the cautions we get to check in with tim brewer which was another interesting aspect tim brewer had the craftsman tech garage uh espn had that cool segment where basically i think tim was either in the studio or at the track with a cutaway car and he would either explain explain fan questions scenarios during the race or just what have you's and but in this instance kevin harvick's apparently having an initial uh, electrical issue so he's gonna go more in depth with that thank you very much jerry the first thing the driver's gonna do when they have an alternator problem reach over here and cut off all the brake blower switches and the fans cut, cut everything off because what he's interested in is the voltmeter gauge it's on 12 volts right there it takes about 14 volts to run these systems but i think they'll be fine to the end of the race always learn something new from the cutaway car. I love the cutaway car. I'm glad we still have it. I know it's virtual now. It was better back when like Jeff Hammond had an actual Ford Fusion cutaway car and he would like yeah. take parts and pieces off it. Or sometimes when they would like go and get him the broken pieces from pit road. I remember like we reviewed that race at Richmond James and he had like Jimmy Spencer's like shock or something like that. And he was like showing that it broke. That was great knowledge. You're like, cool. I can see what that looks like now. Cause the one thing I never really knew a lot about as a fan was the actual cars right? Cause I'm not a car guy. So I didn't know about all the mechanical aspects. So it was cool to learn those things from these segments. Right. And I'm glad the broadcasters spent the time to teach us that. But after all that action, we get a lap restart lap 193. And this is going to be the longest green flag run of the day at just 61 laps. And it's really looking like Kyle Busch as usual in the nation series is going to like walk away with this one. But there is a concern uh, in his pit box over tire wear. I know we talked about maybe stretching your fuel to the end of this race, but his tires on the last run were worn down to the cord. So it seems like the consensus and that news travels fast on pit road. So the consensus is really that everyone's going to pit again for tires because you're going to need tires at the end um, because they might either not make it to the end or you're going to be so much slower if 
you know, if everyone else takes ours. So that seems to be the consensus, but the caution comes out lap 254. So that really takes that equation away. Everyone just decides to come down and pit. So we don't see any green flag pit stops. Um, they're all going to come down less than 50 laps to go. Kyle Busch wins the race off pit road, but James, he had a problem on his pit stop. Yeah. You know what? That official is pointing out a tire tire that ran away from his pit box. Stupid tire. Why, <laughs> why are you running away from your home? Go back to your home. It's over the wall. Stupid tire. Well, that tire cost him his lead. You know what? He's got to go to the back of the pack. I, I won't say of the lead lap or lap down. Cause remember it's tail end of the longest line or no, it's double file restarts at this point. No, it's not double file restarts. Oh, yeah. Tail end of the longest line yeah. boys. So he's going to tail end of the longest line. So that's a See, big hit at the time that probably hurt a lot more because at that point, Kyle Busch had won a few times at Bristol, nowhere near as many as he has today. So uh, he, he wanted to get a few more Bristol wins back then. And this is the fiery era of Kyle Busch where it's like win or I'm <laughs> it's out. always the fiery um, era of Kyle did, Busch. Did, did you guys actually watch him get out of the car after that race? Because he was oh, he so just mad. bolted. He beelined out of Bristol Motor Speedway. He was so upset. He, he, he was like, if I didn't have to come back here tomorrow, I'd be gone. And that's why it really comes down to like, this is a team sport, you know, like a guy on the pit crew lost control of the tire and it cost them the race. They would have won. I guarantee yeah. you Kyle Busch would have oh, won. He had, the, he had the best car that day. Yeah. And, yeah. He's, and he's still come back to finish good, but, uh, you know, not where yeah, he should have. For him, if he doesn't win, he's unhappy because he's not down there to run good. He's down there to win, right? Yeah. You know? yeah. That's the thing. Like, And Kevin Harvick inherits the lead after the caution. Uh, Carl Edwards is starting second. They check in with Carl again, and he thinks he's got something for that 33 car. But uh, it's um, we'll see if that happens. Uh, we get the restart lap 260, but only for a couple of laps because now we're going to get that big – we get one of these at every Bristol. We get a big stack up, uh, kind of like a big one, and uh, Brad Keselowski gets loose, gets into Brendan gone. It causes everyone to stack up. Six cars involved, including Scott Legacy Jr., John West Townley, Danny's guy, Kevin Hamill again. And again, James, the 89 of Morgan Shepard, who's now driving like a hatchback and the front end's missing as well. So you don't need a front rear clip for that one. I'm pretty sure Jesus could help you out with that, Morgan. He is racing for Jesus, but uh, didn't have the best luck uh, at that race. Everything kind of got destroyed on him. And uh, it sucks for that team. Small team, tearing up cars, man. Not great. They don't know, have a lot of cars. I know we're racing for Jesus and everything, but. Gosh, Morgan could have used a sponsorship. Come on, man. Get Chick-fil-A on there. They're a pretty Christian company. Yeah, come on, Chick-fil-A. Why don't you help a brother out who's who's repping Jesus? You know? Chick-fil-A being selfish. All those other, you know, Christian companies who could help Morgan Shepard being selfish too. But. I, I, I will I will say this, like with him, he 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 ran unsponsored. They they put that onto the car. And I I as a as a Christian, I respect what he what he was doing. Um, but he was actually one of not many not many cars that actually didn't have a sponsor in that race. So, yeah, I believe the um, other than like, you know, both the Johnny Davis cars, uh, I don't know. I think the, the 10 as well. Yeah, you're right. There weren't that many cars that didn't have a sponsorship. Sponsorship was uh, something to be had at that point in the uh, nationwide series. There was, there was value in it for sure. Yeah. We didn't need no uh, giant camping world deals like we do today. So I like, I like the little camping world deal, but it could have been a little I, more I, subtle. I, 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 I like it too. I'm just saying, didn't have that many unsponsored cars back then. No, I, I agree with you 100%. But you know, the biggest thing is we got to check back in 
with our end race reporter because we have another extended caution period mm -hmm. and it's always nice to hear carl edwards talk i got you dale well the laps are winding down you got anything for commissioner harvick there in front of you i guarantee we do we got a we got a good race car here so hopefully we get to race a little bit we've been faster than him on the uh you know on a little bit longer run and uh i feel pretty good in traffic so you know hopefully we can beat him uh it's been a good race for us so far just uh just trying to get it perfect, you know? Yeah, I don't know if you know, Kyle Busch had a little bit of a violation there in the pits. That was an awful fast car. Uh, probably not enough time for him to get there and race with you guys. Yeah, I don't know where he's at right now, but, um, you know, the end of the, of the day here is uh, a good day for us. It'll be a, a jump in points, you know, over him. So uh, hopefully we can maintain this or, or maybe run one spot better. But either way, if we can finish in front of Kyle, that's a, that's a good day for us, too. Hey, Carl, has the outside of the upper groove come in as much as you anticipated and were hoping that it would? No, it really hasn't. Uh, I thought it, there'd be more more of an outside groove, you know, maybe tomorrow on some longer runs with the sun out, uh, you know, we'll get that outside groove going. But right now, it's, it's still kind of a fight for the bottom. All right, thanks, Carl. Good luck. I mean, thanks. <laughs> oh, Carl, I feel like I'm in the car with him. He thinks he's got something for Kevin Harvick, you know, but uh, we're going to find out shortly here on the restart that he does not. Kevin Harvick gets a massive launch on the restart and kind of just runs away with this one. You know, uh, there's 27 laps to go. We're going to go green to the end and Kevin Harvick sails off into the sunset. But you know what? It's not all about the front of the field. There's some great racing going on throughout the top 10. Yeah, how about my guy, Scott Speed? He's in the top mm -hmm. 10. We mentioned his name before. His name is Stephen Walls. He's in the top 10. Evil Knievel helmet up there running really good. Kyle Busch, he's digging hard. Like Danny said, he's going to try to finish good. He might get a top 10 out of this. But it doesn't matter because ultimately Kevin Harvick is the one who gets to the checkered flag first. He leads the final lap. He gets the victory in the Scots Turf Builders 300. And not only that, God dang it, Jerry. You can't say it anymore because he's won in his own equipment. He won in a KHI-owned car, which is owned by his wife, Delena. Right? Isn't that like the name on the entry list? Like who owns Yes, it was listed yeah. as Delena Harvey. Delena wins. They, Women. They, inter they interviewed her and Victor Elena, the car owner. They uh, Rightfully so. I liked that moment. Vince Welch took, uh, took the opportunity uh, to interview her. Definitely. Like, yeah, that's, I think that's a big thing. Cause she's from a racing family. You know, people just think wives just come into the picture, but like a lot of wives are really embedded in the sport as well, because it takes someone who knows the sacrifices in racing that you have to make to really respect the sacrifices of that someone will give and, and to stay with that person and, and, and battle through it and support that person as well. So yeah, they're, they're such a cute couple. That's a couple of, couple of the year always. Looking back at this race, uh, Kyle Busch, actually, fun fact, looking back at both of the nationwide races at Bristol that year, Kyle Busch had some horrible luck. Yeah. He had his, uh, he got screwed over by the pit road in this one. And then, do y'all remember what happened to him in the night race that year? I think he got yeah. wrecked by, by, he, uh, got, he got wrecked by lap traffic. Yeah. Oh, and then, yes, I remember and, and that. Then, yeah. And then David Reagan won that race. Mm -hmm. And he didn't, I don't know if he ventured well in the cup race the night after. I'm not sure. I'd have to double check that. Actually, I, I think 
I'm not sure. Kyle Busch might have won both both cup races that year at Bristol. I think that was the first year he he swept. But it's like one of those things where like, yeah, he could win in the cup car there. But like Michigan, he is so upset that he's never won in a truck in Michigan. And that always like pushes him to try to win. He cares about that, which is cool. Like about a driver. It's like, I'm, I ha- I'm like super uh, thrilled with his passion, but you know, sometimes passion kind of gets a little too heated at, at times, but man, yeah, he's, he's a wheel man. So Kyle Busch finished sixth in this race. So pretty, pretty well that in the last, you know, 50 laps, he came back and got all the way back up to sixth uh, through all those lap cars. But the real winners of this race are Justin Allgaier. He's the highest finishing non-cup driver. So he finished fourth and he's a rookie at this point driving for Roger Penske, Stephen Wallace seventh and Jason Leffler 10th. They were the only full-time guys in Xfinity or sorry, in nationwide time to finish in the top 10. And, uh, and Kevin Harvick, that was his 42nd start in his own equipment. And he finally mm-hmm. won. And it was also his 33rd nationwide series victory matching his car number. So that's appropriate. Yeah. There you go. You know, he that's when it was happening. It. You know, like was this his said, only win in his own equipment too? No, no he, he, he won. He won. He won a lot more. Oh, did he? Okay. This he was actually, the floodgate. I can't he, remember when it switched to RCR. He actually, was won, never... at, he actually won at both Tennessee trucks that year. He also won at Nashville that year. Yeah, wow, he showed up at Nashville to run to yeah. bushwhack. I don't know if he ran the 33 when he was with RCR in the Xfinity series. He did it some. He mostly did it with in RCR entries, and someone else drove the 33. Yep, that's 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 how. It in 2006, went. when he won the championship, he drove three different cars. Yeah, he drove the 29, the 21 for RCR, and his own car, the 33, in four races. Which that's something that you just don't see is someone winning the championship not driving one car the whole year like why like but it just didn't make any sense to me i'm like why why is he driving all these different cars why don't you just put the sponsor on like one car you know i just i just thought that was kind of strange or there was a season where like braun racing had or i guess it might have been turner at the time they had jason left there for the whole year but for eight of the races casey kane drove the 38 and they put leffler in a different car yeah, I thought that was so strange. I, I think that was a sponsorship thing. I, I think great. Yeah, that was hundred percent sponsor. Can't and you just that, put great clips on the ten and put Casey in that? Like, like why does he have to be in the thirty-eight? The thirty-eight's their car. That's it, the it, thing. It, it's it, like it matched. Yeah, and and that's to the point of the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard signed the deal with like to the twenty-one car with having those three drivers be the drivers, and Kevin was already going to run the full season, just you know, vicariously through these other teams. Uh, but even like Leffler did that his first year with Braun, like uh, he ran the 32 for a bit and then he ran the 38 once they finally got like great merged on. it into one car. Yeah. But, close Aikens, yeah. And, and even in 2007, he'd run the 10 car, he'd run the, the 32 car in certain races. So go wherever they need you, you know? Well, it's, it's, I guess, you know, like it's the politics of the sponsorship sometimes dictating things, which is, you know, that's just the way she goes, you know, that's the way of the road. I think the big burning question that we always have to ask is like, what did we learn from this race? So Danny, what did you learn? Well, I guess at that time I learned that, uh, yes, I like watching NASCAR in person. There you go. James, what did you learn? Um, I learned that uh, progressive Bristol isn't as progressive as it could have been. Yeah. I'm probably going to go with that as well. Um, It's, Hey, look at our new multi-groove, bristol and there was no multi-groove bristol at all so it just need, it needed rubber and that's the thing it's when you have yeah. nascar coming there for a few days and 
practice sessions being the way they are normally the first session is always quality you know no one's going out there making long runs so those cars just just didn't quite work right for there i guess yeah it was funny Danny and i were texting about this too or like the cot's just ran so well at bristol i don't know what it was they did yeah they actually had really good race i remember watching the first race with the progressive banking there with the cot and i thought the car actually raced pretty well you know better than it did in the spring when it was the uh you know the one that kyle bush won and then of course said the car drives like crap the first ever cot race um but you know i thought it was not bad once they resurfaced it and did pretty well so yeah they uh diamond grinded that i think it was in 2016 which made it better but it's that's the thing like people will still debate oh i love the old concrete bristol single groove put push them up out of the groove kind of racing and then people will like this progressive racing where it does present really great side-by-side racing for several laps and opportunities to make moves but it's ironic you know there was a point where the bottom was the preferred groove and then there was a point where the top was the preferred groove. Mm-hmm. It's like there's no middle ground. I'm I surprised there wasn't through. more of a run on progressive banking based on how well Homestead did. Like, I'm surprised like they didn't do it to more racetracks, honestly. I, I, I think that's always dictated by the... Homestead's kind of the track. perfect racetrack, though, honestly. That's the thing. It's like normally yeah. the ISC tracks are very good at being like them, their own kind of track. Uh I always feel like the SMI tracks, they always try to copy each other in some way or be close. Well, the logo is even the same for every track, man. God. That's just because it's corporate. Come on, we need a progressively banked Watkins Glen. Let's do it. Okay, um, yes. let's uh, rate the race. So we have to rate the race because, you know, everything needs to be rated on a scale of one to 10. It's very important. Yeah. So we will start with our guests, Danny. What would you give this race out of 10? Now you ha- Now you can be... Anything can affect it. Context was the racing good. A guy you liked won. You can be incredibly selfish in this pick. So we've been very harsh. It, it was a, we've been it, giving low ratings to races lately. It was a, it was an okay race. It wasn't the greatest race ever, but it wasn't the worst race ever. Mm, I give it about I give it a six and a half out of ten. It's not bad, James. How about you? Um, you know what really makes this race? Jason Leffler finishing in the top 10. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, it <laughs> and does Scott make... speed. Honestly, Justin Allgaier. I love Lil Gator. I was a huge Lil Gator fan, especially from his like ARCA championship and his ARCA days. So like when he got that Penske ride, I'm like, yeah, he's going to be the next big thing, but it take him a year to win. But it you was all been, good. You, you would have been happy literally a year later at this race. I know, right? That's what I'm saying. It took him, took him a year to get a win, but he learned a lot and he showed his speed in this race. Um, flood of nostalgia with the names man i I liked that i'll give it a seven because it's espn but then i'll dock it half a point because it's a really cruddy upload so it's six and a half this is better than the other version that's on youtube where the audio there's no audio um the audio sounds like it's underwater until 45 minutes in i'd rather watch the one in parts that yeah the the one he's referred to i first i thought was the only version of this race available uh but then he showed me there was a much better one which is still not great, but no. if I have to rate this race, like I'm going to give it, um, ah, man, I'm going to give it a six because like we've said, so lots of cautions, not a lot of actual racing. There's really only, it does have the feel of an, a traditional Bristol race though. Cause we did get a lot of like guys bumping each other out of the way. Bernie Lamar took somebody out at one point for one of the cautions. I think it was Mike bliss. I think he turned around. Right. So 
Um, that was kind of interesting. Um, Kevin Harvick wins in his own equipment. So that is a good storyline, despite the fact that he is a full-time cup driver. Uh, Justin Allgaier in the top five is really cool as a rookie. And come on, Scott Speed finished in the top 10 of a NASCAR race. So that's amazing. So that gives us some extra points. And I got my broadcast crew. You know, I changed my mind. Seven. I just talked myself into it. Seven. <laughs> because we got Jerry Punch in there and, and Andy Petrie and Dale Jarrett. So I'm going to give it a seven. It, it's pretty real. solid. Pretty solid piece of entertainment. The real winner is Scott Speed because, you know, everyone wants to talk smack about him and his all, all his professional racing ventures. Well, guess who's kicking butt in Rallycross still? Scott Speed. Guess who's banned from iRacing? Scott Speed. And who Ooh. cares? He's He gets to drive one of the coolest race cars in the world with that uh, STI uh, GRC car. It's probably like the sickest race car. I, that's the car I want to drive. You know, forget NASCAR, rally cross, rally racing. That's where it's at. Scott Speed, you're a legend. Scott also, he, the rightful... he, he won in his first ever GRC start. Yeah. Yeah. He, he won what was like his fourth or fifth truck start. He's, yeah. he's good. He's a good driver. Fourth or fifth Arca start. So. By the way, Scott Speed is the rightful 2008 ARCA Series champion. Let's be right, okay? Until until Roush Racing decided that they were going to be like scumbags that day, um, you know, Scott Speed deserved to win that championship. So, but you know what? Now we get to look back at Justin Allgaier winning the championship, which is pretty cool. So, you know, he was a beneficiary of those two guys taking each other out. But yeah, check. We got to review that race soon, James, because that one is awesome. That, yeah, that, that would be a good one. Yeah. Maybe we'll have Danny back on for that one. He likes, he likes, he likes Arca. You totally Arca, Danny. That race doesn't take place in Tennessee though. So I don't know if Danny will want to join us. So Wait, that was takes place in Ohio. You, you don't think I watched races in other states? <laughs> <laughs> well, we just thought it was, <laughs> we just thought it was kind of funny that we were asked you to be on. And I'm like, James said, he's going to pick a Tennessee race. I guarantee you. And I'm like, and he did Bristol, the best racetrack. So I thought it was going to be Nashville. And I thought you were going to do like Nashville 2000 or Nashville, like 97, one of those Bush races. I was thinking Nashville Super Speedway because it's kind of an outlier pick and it always has pretty decent races. I'm a big fan of Nashville Super Speedway. I'm actually glad they're going back because when people were like, no, they need to go to the fairgrounds. I'm like, what's wrong with Super Speedway? I really liked it. I thought it had good races. They're just now getting to where the mayor is going to let them think about doing something. And even then, that's not guaranteeing anything. They have to go through a lot more boards. And uh, the 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 people who live near the speedway are going to be the ones for the biggest bit when they don't realize it's only one week in a year that NASCAR would be there. And uh, yeah, it's it's still a mess. Yeah, plus they're also dealing with the other race weekends that are there. Obviously, the uh, All-American 400, one of the biggest uh, short track racing events is held there every October, but there's weekly racing going on there. So I'm pretty sure the locals themselves are, you know, don't they buy a house anything. next to a racetrack if you don't like noise. Oh, uh, well, you don't know how Nashville, they're, they're running out of room in Nashville. They're, they got to put it wherever they can. Yeah, that's the thing about a lot of areas. It's like um, back in the day when it was first built. Yeah, it was a very desolate, unpopulated area. But as time has gone on, population has gotten bigger and bigger. I mean, you look at sports car racing, uh, Petit Le Mans is lucky to run on Sundays. There's a sound ordinance in. No, it's always on Saturdays because of the Saturday. sound ordinance. Exactly. Yeah. So you can't even you can't even do anything on a Sunday at Road Atlanta. You can't even have a track day. Lime Rock what's, Park has the same thing. No racing on Sundays in Connecticut, so the race always has to be Saturday. Yeah, what's, and I mean that that those tracks were built with people in mind. What's so. crazy about that area where the uh, fairground speedway is, is that it's actually uh, it's they're building the new Major League Soccer stadium right beside of it, so. I'll be honest, people who complain about race car noise, you're probably going to have loud crowds at those soccer games too. So. Oh, yeah. 
it's it's funny because like in St. Pete, like uh, we have the Rowdy Stadium, which is our uh, our pro soccer league. I'm I'm not sure if they're MLS, but they are a pro soccer team, and they they have their stadium right where they run the St. Pete Grand Prix. And people complain about the Grand Prix all the time. I'm like, you guys don't complain about people going to raise games and and football games, soccer games. Well, first off, who's going to raise games? Like five people. And second, it's got it's got dome over it. No. You know, you know, I've heard rumors that the Rays might move in Nashville. So, I've heard that because, like, you know, Nashville seems like the place to have uh, a major league baseball team. I mean, we you know. we get the rumor here weekly that the Rays are going to move to Montreal, and the Montreal Expos are going to come back, and people need to stop it because that's not happening. Just let it die. Well, that's at least the there. Toronto Raptors moved. They're never, they're to never Tampa coming Bay. back. Hey, you know what? For a year. I never got on the basketball bandwagon when that happened. Basketball so. is really weird in this area because, like, I get why the Magic exists, even though they came to fruition basically in the late 80s, early 90s, but still, like... They're the one sports team I always forget exists. It's because it's a really random area for basketball. I mean, like, Tampa's a really random area for hockey, and so is Fort Lauderdale, but it booms. It is what it is, man. But, Danny, thank you so much for joining us, bud. We really appreciated it to come on and talk about... A race it was cool that you'd been to this race, and you know, it was, it was. I think it was. It was. It was cool to have you pick one, and you picked an awesome race, man. So we appreciate it. Hey, happy to help. I it's, wish uh, it was rated so it's, it's, it's nice to uh, really get a chance to really kind of dive into it. I haven't really reflected on it as much since uh, in a while, so it's good to revisit it. And that's what we like to do here, man. Revisit the past and and educate people on you know races and and things that were going on. We also have to say thanks, as always, to our partner Bluemu for you know, what they do for us and uh, helping us out. So if you need some fast acting relief from your muscle aches and pains and just, you know, just general soreness, check out some blue emu. It works fast. You won't stink. So it's great for outdoorsmen like Danny. You're not going to, I'm going to scare those fish away, you know, Danny with that awful smell of those other topical brands. So check mm-hmm. out some blue emu and we might be able to hook you up, you know, stay, stay, you know, keep in touch. Yeah. Give me some of my boat. I don't know if we can, technically say that but yes blue emu it works fast you won't stink it provides maximum strength pain relief danny uh man thanks so much for joining us where can people go and uh check out some more of your content or just you know message you randomly about something you might or might not have gotten right or wrong in your videos just directly like on social media so you can find me on youtube my channel is danny b talks you can find me on twitter and instagram at danny b talks as well and he talks. Tests, so do you still do Danny B needs a minute? I don't know, man. That's kind of like, maybe I'll review the races. I'm kind of getting where I don't, I'm just like, don't care if I do that. Like I, I might just want to take it easy and just get back to what I used to do. Just simple videos every now and again. Right on, man. Well, thanks again for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. This has been episode 71 of the flashback trap podcast we're getting up there james my god I'm almost near 100 so yeah no. we're doing quite well we will see you guys all in the next episode be safe